This episode of Rule Breaker Investing is brought to you by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage process into the 21st century with a fast, easy, and completely online process. Check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com slash fool. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner. And welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. It's been quite a summer for me. I hope it's been quite a summer in a good way for you. The reason it's been quite a summer for me is because I've traveled a lot. So I've now been to, in the last six to eight weeks, I've been to Norway, Scotland, and Iceland. And then separately and most recently, I went out to Singapore and to Australia. I'd never been to the Pacific Rim before, and it was a pleasure to see those beautiful countries and spend about two weeks on the Pacific Rim, and in particular, visit my full teams in Singapore and Australia, a talented group of stock pickers and marketers doing the Motley Fool business, both in Singapore and Australia, and that was really fun. We had a great member event in Australia, particularly at Etihad Stadium in Melbourne, with 800-plus members, and what a lovely evening that was. So, here I am, finally caught back up doing a podcast the week that it's airing. I've been taping ahead a lot all summer long, but now I'm kind of back to even. Really excited to be here, back in the saddle, starting August with you. I'm going to start this week's podcast with a story. Um, and it's a story of the last time that my brother Tom and I were on the television show The View. So, let me tell you about the first time and then the last time. So, July 2nd of 1998, Tom and I made our first appearance on ABC's The View. Now, this is a daytime talk show primarily focused on the female audience. All of the hosts themselves are female. Um, The staff has changed a little bit over these, wow, 18 years since our appearances on The View. Um, But Barbara Walters was on back then. I remember that. Uh, Maybe Whoopi Goldberg was as well. But importantly for our appearance, it was a new host, and her name was and still is Lisa Ling. Lisa's not still on The View, but she's still out there doing the television thing today. But back in 1998, she was new to the show. She was the youngest member of the cast. And the idea the producer had was, let's have Lisa pick a stock. Let's have Lisa invest. Let's have Lisa model good financial behavior for our viewers. Let's have her go ahead and pick a stock. But since Lisa's not so much of a stock picker herself, well, why don't we invite the Motley Fools on? And we'll have them pick a stock for Lisa. And let's have a stock that Lisa likes, something, a company that she would use or admire maybe as a consumer. And so we got a call at Fool HQ from the producers saying, hey, would you guys like to come up and think about doing this? Let's do a pre interview first, which is often what they do on television. So Tom and I did our pre interview. We thought of our stock, came up with our idea, passed it to Lisa. She said she liked the company, she liked the product. So that was a good stock. I won't say yet what the stock is. And so we went up July 2nd, 1998. It's a live studio audience. So Tom and I came out. And started the show, and Smiley Fools here, and the you know raves from the studio audience because that's after all, if you've been in one of those, I have too. That's your job. You're there to rave about whatever happens on the show. All enthusiasm for the Motley Fools, and uh, Lisa's going to pick a stock, and they're here to help her do it. David and Tom Gardner are joining us. We had our jester caps on. We had our stock ready, 
had a nice exchange with the hosts, and then it was time to talk stocks, which we did. We picked the stock. The studio audience seemed to like it. Lisa knew about it ahead of time. She'd already been briefed, and so it seemed to go really well. That five or six minute short appearance always on television ended. We walked off the set. Producers like, great job, guys. Really, let's have you back. Let's update the story. So, July 2nd of 1998, as I mentioned, that was the day. Now, over the next six weeks, this stock lost 33% of its value. 33, one full third of our stock pick for Lisa was gone when it came time to think about having us back on the show. And they were okay with that. You know, we, we're okay with that too. I like to talk about my losers a lot, both on this podcast, on our website. I'll always have a lot of losers. So we're okay with talking about losers. They were too. So, guys, let's have you back and we'll just talk about it and update the story, which we did exactly six weeks later, August 16th of 1998. So, again, live studio audience, a lot of enthusiasm. Here come the guys. They're back to talk about Lisa's stock. Lisa smiling, looked excited. She knew where we were headed with this. Um, we started to look a little crestfallen as we started talking about what had happened last six weeks. In fact, I think it kind of went something like this. Hey, everybody, the Motley Fools are back. Yay! Cheers, cheers. And they've got an update on the stock for Lisa. More cheers. And that stock is down. And at that point, one of our few friends who actually watches The View on a regular basis told us, you know, guys, I think you were the only ones I've ever seen actually booed on the show The View. So, yes, we did get a, a kind of good-natured, loud boo from the audience as we revealed that we had lost 33% of Lisa's fantasy money. And we talked a little bit on the show, only in another three or four minutes, about why and what had happened. It was the summer of the Asian contagion, for anybody who remembers that. And if you don't, just look it up on Wikipedia. It'll kind of update you on what it, on the roiling events that rocked the summer of 1998 and our global markets. But this company had also made a serious misstep that summer as well. So, here we are. Let's fast forward to, well, why not? Right now, the second week of August. And I'm going to tell you what the stock was and reflect briefly on its performance. So, the stock we picked for Lisa that day, July 2nd, 1998, was the ticker symbol goes like this SBUX. Now, I know some of us are died in the wool investors. You right away know that's Starbucks. Some, some others may not, but that is the ticker symbol for Starbucks. Starbucks was our pick for Lisa. Starbucks did have a really bad. Earnings report and summer and lost a third of its value. However, since we're now looking backwards from this week in 2016, I can tell you that as of August 2nd, when I had these numbers most recently updated, Starbucks from the day that we first picked it, this includes the 33% drop, Starbucks is up 701.7%. Pretty awesome stock, up eight times in value. The SP 500 over the same period. Again, 18 years later, the S&P 500 is up 88% from there. So, Starbucks up 702%, S&P up 88%, so it's outperformed by hundreds of percentage points. Lisa, if you're listening, I hope you held. We never did get invited back on the show, so we've still never updated the story of The View. I'm pretty sure the producers working on the show today Probably weren't the ones back then. I doubt there's any institutional memory at ABC's The View. If you are a booker for The View, listening every week to Rule Breaker Investing, 
Tom and I would love to come back. I think it would be really fun to update the story because I think the lesson of not worrying about short-term problems when you have great companies, great leaders, great consumer brands, everything great about Starbucks has proved itself over the last 18 years. It is up more than eight times the value. These days, Starbucks is worth about $80 billion as a company. It's just been a remarkable success story. And all the credit does not go to any stock pickers, but really to Howard Schultz, the founder of Starbucks. And that is really Howard Schultz and Starbucks. That is my focus this week's show. I've learned a few things from Howard and from Starbucks that I hope can help make you a better investor. So I've got a few more stories to tell and some insights, and that's what I want to do this week. I've got Starbucks on the brain, and I thought, could there be any better way to introduce this topic than reflecting on our two appearances on on The View, still awaiting that third to really close the loop on the story. Before I continue, let me pay the piper. This episode of Rule Breaker Investing is brought to you by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. If you've ever bought a home, then you already know how frustrating and, sure, time-consuming getting a mortgage can be. Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage approval process into the 21st century by taking all the complicated and time-consuming parts of applying for a mortgage out of the equation. With Rocket Mortgage, you can easily share your bank statements and pay stubs at the touch of a button, helping you get approved in minutes for a custom mortgage solution that's been tailored to your own financial situation. And you can do it all on your phone, if you like, or your tablet. So, if you're looking to refinance your mortgage or buy a home, check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com fool Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, NMLS, consumeraccess.org, number 3030. So, let me talk now about when I first encountered Starbucks. I have to admit, since it's summer, I haven't done deep fact-checking. This is a little bit shooting from the hip, but I'm going to say that the company came public around 1990. Might have been 89, might have been 91, right around 1990. And the big question mark, since I remember it back then, in 1990, I was 24 years of age, and I remember Starbucks coming public, and the big question, the dark cloud hanging over the stock, was a belief among many that Starbucks was a fad. The thinking went like this, coffee houses in America, a big hit new thing, lots of Starbuckses, some Starbuckses opening up across the street from other Starbuckses. They seem all the rage, but some cynics would ask, where is the history of successful coffee houses in the United States of America? This is temporary. This is not something that really is going to have legs as a public company. And so, no doubt, there was a fair amount of short interest and a lot of skepticism about Starbucks back when it came public. Well, certainly by the time we picked the stock, which we opened up online with The Motley Fool in 1994 with AOL, our website 1995-6 on the web. We we picked Starbucks in 97 or 8 initially for our online portfolio we were running at the time for Fool.com. And by then, it was already evident that Starbucks was not a fad, so we were not investing in the face of that prevalent belief at the time. But there have always been questions about how can this company charge $3 for a cup of coffee that only should cost a dollar most of the time? That kind of question about Starbucks, really about any premium brand, why would you pay up for something when you could get it for less somewhere else, has always been and still is a question about Starbucks. But in particular, I remember first picking that stock, and it was Jeff Fisher. If you're a Motley Fool fan and you know Jeff Fisher's work in Motley Fool 
Pro and Motley Fool Options. Longtime advisor Jeff Fisher. Jeff and I were a tandem helping manage this portfolio in 1998 or so. And Jeff, I remember him looking across the desk to me. We had um, computers right next to each other those days in Full HQ. And he said, Dave, Starbucks. And it was one of those stock picks that it seemed so obvious that it hadn't even occurred to us that we might buy shares in it. And I'm darn glad we did at Jeff's behest because it's been an absolutely tremendous performer. And ever since then, uh, despite some rocky times, but credit goes initially to Jeff Fisher for saying, let's bring Starbucks into our full portfolio, our rule breaker portfolio at the time. But now I want to go to a little bit more on Howard Schultz. Howard Schultz, the founder of Starbucks. Um, and the reason I want to talk about some about Howard is because I've had personal experiences with him, I'm all positive. And I've learned a few lessons from him, and I just want to explain how that happened to be in the first place. In the first place, Howard um, had a venture capital firm, still does, called Mavron. And Mavron was kind of Howard's money, and then Howard inviting a lot of his personal friends and his extensive business network, and that funded um, the first fund of for Mavron, which is today a successful venture capital firm. And some of that money went into The Motley Fool. Back in the late 1990s, and so we had an opportunity to meet with Howard, um, both in Seattle and back in Alexandria, Virginia, where Full HQ is based. We went to some conferences, etc. Um, and so we had an opportunity, really, to listen and learn from what I believe to be one of the 20 great living entrepreneurs of our time. And the first lesson I want to share with you, I've got a couple from Howard. The first lesson I want to share with you has nothing to do with Starbucks. Really, it has to do with IPOs and IPO investing. Here's how it started. So, at the time, we were all considering the possibility that the Motley Fool might one day go public. And in fact, Mavron at the time would have loved to see us go public because valuations were inflated. It would have been a great time in the late 1990s to go public, um, but we chose not to. And we're all glad today at the Motley Fool that we, that we did make that choice to stay private all the way through. But we were talking about the possibility of being public, and Howard shared his philosophy with us about how to think about going public, because he had certainly, obviously, done it very successfully himself about 10 years before. And he said, guys, here's how it works when you go public. You need to know, with virtual certainty, your next four quarters of operational performance. You need to know ahead of time that you've got it nailed. When you come out as a public company, Howard said at the time, and he might still agree with this today, or he might think differently. I haven't updated this story. I haven't seen Howard in some years, but this spoke to me very eloquently at the time. And I'm going to give you an example of how I put this concept into practice in a minute. But Howard said, it's so critical when you come public. It is your one shining moment in front of Wall Street and the world, and you darn well better not screw that up. So, companies that go public and then a quarter or two later, all of a sudden underperform the numbers that they'd been sharing with the world, that was the kiss of death. That meant, in Howard's opinion, that Wall Street will walk away from you potentially forever. You are toast. You made a horrible decision if you brought your company public and you didn't already know you had your numbers sewn up. As we all know, companies typically under-promise and like to over-deliver on numbers. It's not really a cynical thing. I think it's pretty much what investors in the world want to see. We all want pleasant surprises in life, so smart managers of companies have consistently done that over time. 
And certainly Howard is one of those people. So Howard would say, you know, let's make sure we have our numbers nailed um, and let's be conservative with our guidance and then let's, let's beat it time and time again. Now, how does this actually inform our investing? Well, let me give an example of what I did, a rare thing in the Rule Breakers service. Uh, this was in 2005. In, in 2005, we had picked Great Wolf Resorts, which some of you may know as a theme park, except it's all about water. It's water rides, and it's kind of stay at the hotel, and then in the morning, everybody puts on their trunks and has fun with all the slides and shoots uh, water theme. There was one in, in, I think it was in Williamsburg, Virginia, not that far away from us at the Fool at the time. And Great Wolf Resorts continues to operate today. Uh, it wasn't a great stock, which is kind of where I'm going with this story. So, uh, the very talented Rick Munares, who is our internal expert about all kinds of theme parks, rides, amusement in general at The Motley Fool, a wonderful long-term follower of that industry. And Rick liked Great Wolf Resorts at the time. And so, on the Rule Breaker team, um, I get team input from people like Rick. Uh, I always make the final calls for any stock pick that's made. All the good ones, all the bad ones, I'm on the hook for for Motley Fool Rule Breakers. So, this bad investment is on me, not Rick. I agreed with Rick at the time. Let's go ahead and pick that in April of 2005. And then, in the intervening month or two, Great Wolf had come public very recently. And in the intervening month or two, I believe it was its first quarter out as a public company, all of a sudden, the numbers come out and they've disappointed all expectations. This is about seven years after I heard Howard explain his philosophy about taking a company public, how he had done it with Starbucks, and if we ever did it with The Motley Fool, how we should do it too. And I thought about what had just happened with Great Wolf, and I decided then and there, with Rick's agreement, that we're going to sell that stock out of the Rule Breaker service right away. Heavily influenced by the notion that if you're going to go public, it's a bond, it's a trust that you have with new investors and Wall Street. You darn well better live up to your numbers. And sure enough, Great Wolf did not. And I guess it's kind of a happy or sad ending, depending on your viewpoint here, because that was an excellent sell that we made just three months after we picked the stock. Very rare for me as an investor to do that in Stock Advisor or Rule Breakers. We sold Great Wolf at a loss. We picked the stock around 20. It lost 35% of its value over those three months. So we sold it somewhere in the $12, $13, $14 a share. Seven years after that, Great Wolf was taken private at a price of $5 a share. So one of my best sells, one of our best sells we've ever made in Rule Breakers. Not something to celebrate, though, because we picked the stock and it lost 35% for us and our members in just three months' time. But thinking back to Howard's wise guidance and directly applying that in that situation helped us make better investing decisions. And I know you know this. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, that's what I'm here to help you do, make better investing decisions. That's why The Motley Fool exists. Our purpose is to help the world invest better. So, I hope you'll remember that Howard story and you'll apply that to your own investing. And I have no problem investing in IPOs and companies that are newly public. Some of our best stock picks have been companies that have have done that. But I very carefully watch those numbers those first few quarters because 
What's the company that nails the numbers? That's usually a company that was locked down, probably well-managed, was ready for it. What about companies that don't? Well, that suggests to me either they're disorganized, not very well-managed, or sometimes maybe it was kind of a desperation IPO or a very opportunistic IPO, but not an initial public offering that would have been well-timed if companies are underperforming their numbers just a few quarters in. So, something always to think about, something I've always thought about ever since learning that from Howard about 20 years ago. Another thing I learned from Howard Schultz, he had a great line. He said, at the end of the day, people don't want to know you're the best at what you do. At the end of the day, they want to know that you care. And I think that's a really important statement for any entrepreneur, a really for-profit or not-for-profit. I think most of us, as customers of any organization, would certainly value knowing that we're working with the very best. But for most of us, the feeling that the person or entity cares about us and our family or whoever you're taking to that business counts for even more than that. That's the real humanity of it. And Starbucks, which some people today still think is evil, I've never thought Starbucks is evil. I think it's one of the great companies of our time. <laughs> certainly, any successful company, Apple, Starbucks, etc., there will always be people who think, it's not good or wrong. Uh, that's definitely not me with Starbucks, but I, I can see and I saw very sincerely in Howard and how he thought about his business, uh, how he thought as a businessman. And I've only seen that proven out eloquently, really, over the last couple decades, watching and holding Starbucks stock. So at the end of the day, people want to know that you care. Okay, and now I want to shift back from Howard. Back to Starbucks just for a little bit more thinking. Just a few concluding thoughts really this week. More more this week storytelling and thinking than any real organized presentation for you. Um, I, I want to point out that Starbucks is one of those classic examples for us as investors. Investors, by definition, we act for the long term. One of those classic examples of a stock that you should just have kept buying and adding to. And I don't mean to use the past tense because I think you should own it today and you should just keep buying more over time. Now, not every business or stock works out that way. But when you have a visionary CEO, you have a really basic universal product like coffee, and you have an entity that is capable of delivering on a promise every day that whether or not you like Starbucks, you have to admit they're very professional, they're very consistent, and for some of us, they're excellent. They are, in Howard Schultz's words, that third place. If your first place is your home and your second is your workplace, Starbucks, for a lot of people, is that third place where they can meet a friend. And delivering on that promise as long as Howard has been doing with, again, that universal product and that great consumer brand, these are the kinds of companies that we love as investors. We should be looking for not just in this industry, but in any industry. And for a lot of us, I think one of the hardest things to do is to add to a stock that's already gone up. But I think we need to disabuse ourselves of that. We need to disavow that old bias. And we need to recognize that usually in life, and I've said this certainly before in the weeks and months of Rule Breaker Investing Past, the winners typically keep on winning in this world. And whether we're talking about Howard himself or Starbucks, it's a very clear example and by no means a unique example. Many of the companies from Disney to Heck, a company like Priceline, which has been such a wonderful performer for us in Motley Fool Stock Advisor, these are just really well-managed corporations by good people who just get the job done time and time again. And again, this is a minority of companies 
on the public markets, but these are all the ones you should be owning and adding to. So I'm happy to say that we started Motley Fool Stock Advisor in 2002, and it was time to add Starbucks to that portfolio, and then we added again in 2011. And these are just winning positions. So concluding thought number one of three, keep investing in this company, in these types of companies. And I'm speaking specifically about this one, even right now here today, even at an $80 billion market cap. Concluding thought number two, there were some very painful times to own Starbucks over the last two decades. I already talked about The View, a really bad six weeks that seemed embarrassing for us at the time in the media. But since then, Starbucks has had some horrendous underperformance at different points in the last 20 years. And often it was Howard overreaching. He's a very ambitious person. So Howard at one point decided that Starbucks.com could be a major hub. Um, Starbucks has always tried to make music a key part of the experience. You see things like, you know, buy the music you're hearing us play in the store, or music cards um, uh, been often uh, sold right in lots of different Starbuckses. But um, he's tried to make Starbucks count for a lot more than just a coffee shop. Sometimes he's made a little bit political. He's encouraged baristas to open up even political conversations with people before, just part of the uh, the social aspect of. Starbucks. Howard has also really walked the walk in some surprising ways. I think a lot of us know he's developed a program to help pay for college for some of the baristas at Starbucks, which is a remarkable thing. Or I was just reading at the end of this July a press release talking about a new Starbucks opening in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. And what's special about that one? Well, it's a collaborative effort with the Society of Interpreters for the Deaf. It opens its store in Malaysia with 10 deaf partners and three hearing partners, partners being how they're referring to their employees. And that's pretty remarkable. So, those kinds of experiences, Panera has done some special things like that. These are, these are pretty remarkable efforts on the part of the private sector to help change the world in almost a public sector way. In fact, sometimes some of my favorite companies, we say they have the brains of a for-profit and the heart of a not-for-profit. I think Starbucks, again, I know some people really hate Starbucks, and I'm sorry if that's you, but I think Starbucks has really exemplified that more so than most public companies in the United States or the world today, frankly. That's concluding thought number two, that Howard has made some major missteps, and you had to sit there and watch the stock get cut in half more than once over these last couple decades to get that eight-bagger that's so far ahead of the market. And concluding thought number three, and maybe I'm riffing a little bit off of reflections on last week's podcast, I Own the Water with Donald Trump, but in a world that so often, in my experience, in my 50 years, has looked to our political leaders for so-called leadership, I will just say, again, probably the fool in me here, the contrarian, I have so often found the greatest leaders in my life from the private sector. Howard Schultz is a great example of that. You know, Hundreds of communities like Ferguson, Missouri, need economic development. Their citizens need job training. Their neighborhoods need stability and hope. And what was Starbucks doing recently but opening up a new Starbucks in Ferguson, Already a rallying point for more investment, said Dan Bish, Ferguson's Community Development Coordinator. Bish said, Starbucks was a huge get for us. I'm quoting, they are helping spur investment along the entire corridor. We're saying they're willing to invest in us, so you should invest in us too. And so I'm just concluding with a thought this week. This is borrowed a little bit from one of our great online contributors whose screen name in the Motley Fool community is Cromulent Brad, who in a recent post earlier this year in Starbucks said, and I'm quoting Brad, quote, 
This is how you ignite economic development in an area desperately in need of it. Progress comes from leaders like Howard Schultz, people willing to put their money and reputation where their mouth is, not, and this is a little bit of um, cynicism on the part of my friend Brad, not the yammering hammerheads currently clogging our airwaves promising change, period, end quote. Um, So, whatever you might make of that viewpoint, I'll say this. So many of the great leaders, from Steve Jobs to Howard Schultz to Reed Hastings at Netflix to Bob Iger at Disney, of course, to Warren Buffett at Berkshire Hathaway, these are people who are making real changes in our world, not through things like foreign policy or economic policy, but through real actions, creating jobs, and I think, whether good or bad neighborhoods, creating success for customers who willingly buy from them. That sounds like capital L leadership for me, and I will always vote for that. Thanks for listening to this special Starbucks edition of the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast. From The View in 1998 to The Great Wolf IPO in 2005, right through to Going Forward, I hope you've enjoyed a couple of lessons that I've learned from Howard and Starbucks over the years. And in next week's episode, I'm going to go back to the quote machine. So, It'll be Great Quotes, Volume 4, lines that I want to share with you that I think are great for investors, business people, and citizens of the world. Full on. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.